Hello and welcome to Russians with Attitude. Please welcome our talking Anglo friend, Scott Greer. Greetings from America. I'm glad we can finally build some relations between uh, America and Russia in this in these troubled times. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, let's take a look at your credentials. Isn't Greer a Scottish name? And it that is a Scottish makes name. you basically a mulatto. <laughs> fellow uh, POC <laughs> yeah, yeah POC yeah. the Scots were the original uh, you know yeah they always talk about how the Irish came white but they don't talk about how the Scots became white but uh, most of the Scots who came to America were from the lowlands and have a ton of um, their ancestries are basically the same as the English uh, they, and they yeah, speak sure. and the lowlands speak Scots not a they don't speak Gaelic and Scots is a Germanic language uh, closely related to German, or uh, to not to German, but to English. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. It, uh, it's like uh, Russian patriots often come from non-Russian stock, right? So, yeah, <laughs> yeah I guess you know. I guess we could be the Kazakhs of uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> of America. Sense. So next up, you have never been blocked on Twitter, which means you are federal agent. Uh, so how good is the work climate down in CIA? Dude, it is incredible. You know, they just tell oh. me things. They're like, hey, post this German soy jack video. We need to destroy the alt-right. <laughs> uh, they're like, we're protecting your account from all blocks. They're, you know, they're also telling me to keep supporting Trump. They're, you know, they're very yeah. nervous about Ron DeSantis or... Uh, Paul Nalen running again for office, you know, and so they they tell me to keep shilling for Trump. Uh, they keep telling me to tell the people because they know that national divorce and civil war is on the horizon with America. And they're like, Scott, we need you to tell them this is a stupid idea. Here's, a, you know, some additional money for you to buy some black metal albums. And, you know, I'm on my way to shilling for the uh, CIA every day, every day on Twitter. Mm hmm. All right, so uh, you claim that your IQ is uh, 187. Yes, uh, so tell me, which is heavier, a ton of rocks or a pound of feathers? You know, it would be a ton of rocks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so you pass. All right, did not expect that. Uh, but let's move on. Uh, let's see how good of a political wonk you are. I heard your take about on your latest stream on supposed Russian invasion in Mother Russia, and it boils down to Putler not wanting to attack Ukraine anytime soon because he wants uh, respect from the West and is collecting bargaining chips, basically. And that's true enough. But um, if you actually look at any of the conflicts that we had the last 20 years, it always had some legal reasoning behind it that was conventionally left out by u.s media putin is not at all a chaotic maniac riding on a bear and he's not romantic neither is he a big military guy or russian nationalist it's time to admit it vladimir putin is a libertarian and i'm gonna prove it to you so he hear me out hear me out he uses any precedent to prevent post-soviet bloc countries like ukraine moldova georgia from joining the world spanning nato he wants to keep them as angry little rogue states uh, unable to be part of the Zog world, basically. So it's a great uh, libertarian service, I think. And some portion of the turf occupied by unrecognized republics, like Moldavia has Pridnistrovia, 
Ukraine has Donbass and Lugansk, Georgia has Abkhazia and South Ossetia. All of them are dark alleyways of uh, Europe. Each one has a possible criminal niche for local or international mafia. And you see, these are the libertarian utopias, free of law and state, not to be found anywhere else. Uh, as Kirill already mentioned, Donbass will be the capital of cryptocurrency speculation someday because of the... The cheapest yeah, electricity yeah, yeah. in the world. And <laughs> get right. this, uh, these are the dark alleyways with pretty low murder, not like Somalia, and generally nice public. So are you moving to sunny sea resort of Abkhazia anytime soon? Uh, you know, I don't think I am. I don't think I don't know any Russian. Uh, I don't think I would fit in among the Russians. Uh, Neither do the Abkhazians. So. <laughs> or where, where, where is this place you're saying? Abkhazia is uh, part. It's a former part of Georgia that was oh, taken okay, 2008 okay. war. Remember? Well, yeah. No, I don't think I'm gonna move there. I don't think I'm gonna move to Donbass either. Well, um, Viv did. Do you remember this famous hacker? Do you remember? Oh, Andrew. Weave. No, Weave. I think he's in Moldova or, or he's in. Um, he's switching between or all no, those Transnistria. places. Transnistria. I think in Transnistria. Oh, yeah, yeah. He, uh, he lived in, in every of these places. <laughs> so he knows the stuff, right? That yeah, it's true. We finally, That's my the case. Anarcho capitalism is finally reigning thanks to Putler. We yeah, gotta yeah. thank him. You know, That's he needs to, you know, you know, the traditional imperial Russian flag, you know, they, they do have black and yellow just like the ANCAP. <laughs> so I think there is, you know, maybe there's this connection there. I think just maybe, like Wiz Khalifa song. Yeah. yeah, just like the West Khalifa song. <laughs> you know, that there, everyone, Putin, uh, Imperial Russia, Wiz Khalifa, ANCAP. Wiz Khalifa is a Russian side. nationalist. <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, okay. America is talking about Russian invasion and uh, everyone takes it seriously, I take it. So let's entertain this American fantasy of a Russian-Ukrainian war. So what would their war game plan look like? What do you think, Scott? For America, I, there is no planning for... I, first off, nobody wants to use their troops. It's just like, we think that if we send a stern tweet or we do this, that that'll make the Russians back off or believing this propaganda that Ukrainian female soldiers are going to singly, single-handedly take out the entire Spetsnaz. But, you know, going back to the point of like American war game, there really isn't. They do not want to risk troops, but people just say, we need to do something. We need to stand up to Putin. But if it actually came to war, people would definitely back down. There is no popular support at all for war in America. People, you know, it's just like the foreign policy blob in Washington, D.C. and elsewhere. They're like, we have to stand up to Putin. And they never feel like that this will mount to war. There's that somebody else is going to do the fighting. Is that if we give uh, Ukraine enough aid, they can fight Ukraine on our own and we can you know, stand behind them, you know, clap for them, maybe send some drone strikes or whatever. But there is no plan uh, or really yearning to use American troops in Ukraine and fighting over Donbass. Like nobody knows, few Americans know what the hell Ukraine is. Uh, most Americans would not know how to say Donbass. They would probably say dumbass. You know? <laughs> they were wanting to say it. I had a great tweet. Uh, I wanted to tweet out. Maybe I'll tweet it out today. It's like only a dumbass would care about Donbass, and I'd have them all caps. That's uh, not bad. That yeah. maybe some Russians would. Maybe some of the Russian uh, people would not be happy about that, and also Ukrainians. I think I'd piss off both sides uh, with that tweet. Yeah. But you know, most no, people no, don't okay. care about this stuff. 
even when you looked at social media on Sunday or you know two days ago, when everyone's talking about war all day, and then at night people return to talking about football. That's all that people are talking about. Mm-hmm. You're not going to give it to these people to sign up for World War Three over some country they have no clue about or where it is on the map. And sure. there's no real plan of a war game either. They just want to send troops there to like Poland and uh, like Lithuania and. They have troops stationed there, and then they'll send a message to to Putin, but then they're not going to do anything about it. I mean, Biden has been clear that if Russia invades Ukraine, we're pulling out our military advisors. So yeah. we don't even want our military advisors involved. I, I meant uh, Russian war game Oh, plan. well, it's my bad. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, I'm, try- I'm wanting to give an American perspective here, so I'm oh, apologies yeah, I see, I see. on that. But on the Russian... That's irrelevant, but uh, yeah, go on. <laughs> Uh, well, yeah, the, it's funny to me that uh, many American political scientists or whatever are talking about guerrilla war. People won't uh, be dying for such a young nation, I, I think. Maybe not because it's like a young nation, but I think a couple of people have been pointing this out. It's like a lot of Ukrainians like make all their money through being guest workers in like Poland and like uh, Slovakia well, and I guess Czech Republic. But or not, not all of them. Not all of them. Not all of them. So, We're not want to say it's not like... Uh, Guatemala. Well, maybe it may be equal to the amount of Guatemalan guest workers, but a lot of them are guest workers. I don't think, you know, the government is like this wildly corrupt kleptocracy. I don't think that like Zelensky is going to inspire them to die for Ukraine. I think the only people who would be waging a guerrilla war are probably the most like right wing nationalists who would just get killed off while the average Ukrainian is just like whatever or is moving to or fleeing to Poland. And I don't think this idea of guerrilla war on behalf of Zelensky and the United States State Department sound is ridiculous. I think there would be there would be definitely be pockets of resistance. But, you know, in the type of way that it turn into Afghanistan, you know, I don't think that's going to be the case. I think people just like come to accept whatever, like, you know, they'll put like Russia, if if I don't think Russia would take over Kiev and the point of like, you know, they're taking over the capital and they install a new government. But if they did, you know, I think the average Ukrainian would be like, well, these guys are not much different from the people before. Maybe we have a little less corruption. We may have a little bit more law enforcement now. Um, you know, they may notice some minor differences in the positive and they'll be like, oh, well, I guess we'll just accept this. And then there'll be, you know, a few holdouts like Azov Regiment and, uh, you know, some of the right wing militias fighting off. But I don't even think I don't even think Russia would go into, you know, even under the most wild scenario would go into the western part of Ukraine with like Lviv and well, let's n- not forget it. that uh, we are imagining things because uh, Putler does not want to do any of that uh, yeah uh, we're, we like to shit on the Ukrainians a lot uh, and I think it's a bit unfair probably so let's shit on Russia because um, for Western perspective Russia is a kind of a shadow realm it's a final place for Various uh, schemers, adventurer types, uh, racist outriders. Yes, uh, we have uh, like fucking Steven Seagal living in some Buryatia <laughs> village. Thousands of assorted washed-up European uh, celebrities, uh, like Zionists, diamonds smugglers, whatever Swedish Nazis. And that's why your friend uh, Nick, Nick Fuentes is on VK and Telegram right now. That's where people go to hide away from the Western world. 
so it's an alternative reality for people who can follow the white rabbit and it's not the place not the country that really has some uh, goal to uh, win more land for the russian people because we have too many already so there is no real desire i just wanted to add that the whole idea of uh Ukrainians of, of, of American conservatives and libs uh, right now having wet dreams about uh, Ukraine turning into Afghanistan and Ukrainian peasants turning into Mujahideen. It's uh, it's pretty insulting, actually. It's it's uh, it's in a way it's Orientalist. It's in a way everyone just simply imp It's implied in that that the Ukrainian armed forces will simply cease to exist the moment they um, have contact with the Russian army, and uh, uh, and it's kind of like people are telling the Ukrainians, yeah, your country is going to be occupied, but we fully expect you to fight a hellish guerrilla war, to have your cities wiped out, to have like like uh, hostage uh, situations, to have your villages burned down for supporting partisans. And uh, stuff like that. And we want you to become Afghanistan. And, and everyone is like, yeah, that's a fucking great idea. It's like, yeah, good luck, have fun. <laughs> well, that's the expectation. I think we think the whole world... Well, even Americans uh, all over the spectrum think they can even turn America into Afghanistan. <laughs> With some of these like Civil War fantasies that people have heard of, they're like, oh, we'll turn... We'll turn Appalachia into America's Afghanistan. It's like, no, you're not. <laughs> like, first <laughs> off, like the regime doesn't even care that much about Appalachia. And it's like, who's going to organize this stuff? So even like fentanyl death squads. Yeah, it's like <laughs> they're getting the pillheads to organize into Mujahideen. I don't think that's going to work. And it's so there's like this even expectation of wild expectation of everyone in the world that are like Afghanistan is one example, and that could just be replicated throughout the world. Now, I think that there are like Ukrainians who would, you know, fight to the bitter end and would form guerrilla squads. But I think the majority of the population would just like shrug their shoulders and be like, whatever, and then just move on. Yeah. And I think that'd be something very different, even something very different from Afghanistan, where, you know, most of the population wasn't necessarily involved in the Taliban. But as we saw when America pulled back is they preferred the Taliban to what the Americans gave them. And so a lot of these people, they weren't necessarily involved, but they're, you wanted to give shelter to, to Taliban fighters coming through or, you know, they would tacitly, you know, support them in ways. But I think here, you know, the population, a lot of the Ukrainian population be like, these people are going to make our lives miserable. We're going to turn them into the authorities. And that's something that we didn't, weren't even having in Afghanistan. So there's a lot of things to... Uh, know that Ukraine is not Afghanistan. Yeah, I mean, I mean, as I tweeted out uh, yesterday, I think, or yeah, yes, or today. I don't even think I, I don't um, even think Ukraine has the terrain to be. Uh, yeah, Afghanistan. Ex exactly. Uh, maybe in the it's like you're hiding in the plains. It's like we can see you. It's like <laughs> you're yeah, yeah. hiding in the wheat fields. Like, well, we can see the party. It's not like a you know a mountainous country filled with like caves yeah. everywhere. Yeah, I mean, I mean, if we continue to entertain the idea of a Russian invasion, I think in that case, the illusions of a, like this massive uh, Ukrainian guerrilla war would be shattered uh, the moment when photos start appearing of just uh, Russian soldiers playing around with American tech and javelins that the Ukrainian partisans just sold to them. Because that is even what happened in 2014. There is a ton of... 
photos of uh, like uh, militias and Donbass just posing with uh, fancy American drones and shit because the Ukrainian army just sold it to them. It's uh, People Stunts. underestimate just how corrupt the country is and especially the armed forces. Yeah, I would have to agree. So, yeah, uh, I heard from our friend Anatoly Karlin an interest in neologism, uh, Chimerica, or rather Chimerica. Have you heard of that, Scott? Chimerica? What was it? Chimerica. Uh, it's like China plus America and also Chimera. It's like oh, a chimera. symbolic term chimera for Chinese-American uh, world order. Yeah, Chimerica, okay. And that makes a lot of sense in the prolonged perspective, I think. But as usual, American intellectual class talks about something else entirely. The Russian-Chinese union. So, do you believe uh, in Russia or Chaisha union? <laughs> it's not as pretty as Chimerica. It doesn't sound Chimerica. But anyway, do you think it can happen? With uh, a world order dominated by Russia. Not world order, but yeah, some kind of uh, military union, let's say that. Between Russia and America? Uh, Russia and China. Russia and China. You know, I was talking about in my podcast is like, you know, Russia clearly favors China more than uh, the West. I mean, even with that German admiral talking about like we need Russia on our side. And it's like, well, I agree with that sentiment. But why would Russia side with us? Like China, as I said in the podcast, like China's not trying to have color revolutions all over Russia's border or topple Putin. You know, they're just like accepted. They work with them. They don't really care. Uh, about how Russia governs its order. So why would they side with the West against China when China's not trying to topple its government or mm. turn its you know neighboring countries into uh, hostile powers against it? So, uh, but them merging? Uh, no, you know, no, no, I don't no. think so. Russians don't have much of a sympathy for China at all uh, because uh, typical Russian sentiment for China is that they're still in our woods. That's all. <laughs> and we have nothing culturally in common. It's uh, far-fetched. It's like uh, Patton-tier dreams of uh, Russians being uh, some uh, bizarre mongoloid horde, right? <laughs> uh, and uh, that we are not. We are, for the better or for worse, are part of the Western world culturally. So yeah, and, and I think it's just uh, any really close Russian-Chinese union would uh, imply that Russia is playing the junior role. And I think Russians are just way too, like, low-key, far too racist to, to accept uh, yeah, yeah, like sure. a junior partner position in any geopolitical alignment. Well, yeah, I agree with that. I was just saying in the point of, like, favor in, like, in who they would have a better relationship with, like, the current, like, West, like, NATO and America versus China. I think they'd have a... I mean, they already have a better relationship with China, but in terms of like merging into, uh, you know, a shared political order, yeah, I don't, <laughs> I don't see that happening. I don't see that happening with anybody with China. I mean, everyone like kind of gets along with China to a certain extent, but nobody really likes China and yeah. like wanting to, to merge with them. It's like people like have a deep suspicion of the Chinese. There's something, you know, they're not really offering people much more than like, oh, we'll invest in your roads and bridges and stuff. And we'll build this stuff and then we'll start to slowly colonize you. And then people are just like, what are the Chinese doing? It's not necessarily, I don't think China can ever have its like own NATO, you know, of allied nations. Like sure. people will do economic, like people do business with them and people will have like 
uh, cordial relations with them. But in terms of like joining in a military alliance with China, I don't think uh, what nation besides North Korea? I mean, I don't even think (laughs) China or North Korea want to be in a military, like their sole (laughs) military alliance. Um, But that's like it that it would have. Yeah, North Koreans probably think that uh, those chinks are icky and they don't (laughs) like them. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Uh, Americans are gay and retarded, but at least we understand them. So um, I would rather believe in, uh, not that I'm a fan of it, but uh, in some Russian-American alliance uh, um, in the future than a China-Russian alliance. I mean, the point is that one of the, it's, it's basically only the, the American ruling classes that are um what is disturbing a possible Russian-American alliance because Russian-American alliance is basically the default state, the historical default state. Russia and America were best friends between 1776 and the early 20th century all the time. And it's uh, basically just first uh, uh, vicious people from the Pale of Settlement who made uh, Russia aggressive towards uh, America. And since the 90s, you have vicious people from the Pale of Settlement making America aggressive towards Russia. So... Well, I don't know if it would be called best friends, but we had okay, we had good relationships between from 1776. Yeah, of, of course, I'm over over exaggerating the best friend thing, but uh, it's still the <laughs> it was always a state of alliance. There was never any re- re- real tension. And well, uh, I, you know, the yes. general population doesn't really have. I mean, the general population has a suspicion of Russia, but not like the type of outright hostility towards Russia that it was that we had during the Cold War. Or that was prevalent uh, during, you know, the world wars against the Germans. I mean, it's not on that level. I mean, of course, the ruling class hates Russia. There would be have to lot be to be changed. I think China would have to be acting much more aggressive in a manner that we'd have to realize that we have to have cordial relations with Russia in order to counteract Chinese influence, and that's the only way that you could ever mm-hmm. see. That, but I mean, right now the the plan is that we're going to be hostile to both China and Russia, uh, and we're going to have wars against both. And with China, it doesn't even make sense because like China, like a, a large percent of our manufacturing base is there. Uh, Wall Street, big tech, our entertainment sector all love China much more than they love America. And I don't know how you have a cold war and. <laughs> against a country that all your elite institutions love and worship and will do whatever China requests. Yeah, I. but I genuinely think that uh, a large part of the Russian-American hostility is just because American foreign policy is dominated by like a whole bunch of vicious Eastern Europeans with ethnic resentment against Russia. Like people like... Uh, Brzezinski, who more or less for 40 or 50 years was the dominant voice in America on uh, how to what to do in Eastern Europe. He's, he is from Kharkov in Ukraine. He is, I think, uh, ethnically Polish mostly. And there is a whole bunch of these people, like um, 
Madeline Albright is also Polish, I think. Well, Alexander uh, Vindman, who was the hero in the impeachment, first impeachment trial against Trump, he's a Ukrainian immigrant. (laughs) He's like this lieutenant colonel or colonel from the army who's like this like fat, weirdo looking guy. And now he's becoming a a national security expert. So there are a lot of those. Right. And now you also have have that woman, that DNC woman who is named after Mexican food, uh, Chalupa or something like that. She's also Ukrainian. Uh, yeah. yeah some of these people are more minor but there is a lot of those people who are directing foreign policy and generally the foreign the national security blob it's also holdovers from the cold war and you know people haven't really thought up a a, a new geopolitical strategy for america and they need a good opponent and russia makes more sense to make it as an opponent than china because one we have we're not economically dependent on russia in the way we are with china Russia is a white nation, so we don't have to worry about being racist by being Russia-phobic. Um, and all these people still have Cold War notions that, you know, the, the, the great bear is going to rise again and take over the world. And so some of that, it, there's still like these people who are Gen Xers and boomers who were, grew up in the Cold War and still have these notions about Russia. And they just carry it over that you can't really trust these people. And there's always something duplicitous about this. And also Americans have also been raised to always see that there's some great evil European dictator who's, uh, uh, you know, going to be the next Hitler. And in the 90s, they saw Slobodan Milosevic as this. And now they've been seeing Putin as this for, you know, nearly 20 years, even though people weren't that anti-Putin in the early 2000s. But probably since uh, the late 2000s, people, Americans have had this opinion. So it makes just easier sense. And they feel like we need a, a clear geopolitical enemy. And radical Islam, they they don't they're not really comfortable with that idea, and it's not as you know it's much more amorphous in how to describe it. They do want to move to China, yeah. It's also racist and and Islamophobic, and they wanted to move to China, but China is hard to to move towards because there's and especially now with the you know, the development of all this crazy race stuff that's taking over the American elite class, that it's much harder. And especially in all these people believe that there's like anti-Asian hate crimes driven by Trump and uh, anti-China rhetoric. So they're worried about driving into that. And also, you know, we're economically dependent on China and culturally dependent on China due to, you know, Hollywood and our sports leagues all like bowing down to China. So it makes it much more difficult to have them as a geopolitical opponent. And so Russia just makes it easier. It's like, okay, these guys are white. Uh, You know, we can maybe claim that Putin looks like Hitler. And uh, they have, you know, whenever he moves into another territory, we can say, say this is just like Hitler taking the Sudetenland. And so it can replay all of what America's uh, chattering class and their historical references that are all centered around World War II. And people still have this lingering suspicion of Russia as like a bad country and as an evil country that we need to be suspicious of. Yeah, I really love the whole uh, discourse and like mainstream American media. Whenever a conflict anywhere is happening, they're looking for who is Hitler. And who are the black people in this conflict? <laughs> it, it, it was really ridiculous uh, during the Armenian-Azerbaijan conflict when it uh, flared up for the last time and the media were like really confused. Like, who is the racist here? Who is being oppressed? Who are the POCs? <laughs> 
Yeah, and it was left up to the lobbying. I think the Azeris did a much better a lobbying job in America than uh, the Armenians. And I guess Armenia has a better relationship with Russia and not as great of a relationship with us. So the Azeris came out as, um, even though there wasn't as much attention paid to it, the Azeris came out as the uh, uh, the more sympathetic party in American media. But yeah, they always do this with uh, every conflict. So I guess in Ukraine, uh, Ukraine, Ukrainians are the black people. <laughs> there actually wasn't Putin open. Is the, the, Putin the, is Hitler. I don't think Ukrainians would be I happy think, uh, with that. In, in 2014, I believe, there actually was an op-ed about this. I don't remember. I think foreign policy, maybe. I don't remember where it was, where uh, some Ukrainian immigrant in America actually uh, described basically how Ukrainians are black people and Russians are white and uh, Donbass is basically the deep south. And uh, Ukrainians are subjected to Jim Crow laws there. It was, it was really ridiculous. It was deleted after like a week, I think, after some like BLM people protested against this. <laughs> but it was very funny. You you might see that type of article. I could see one of these idiots like Ann Applebaum or somebody, you know, writing a similar article. <laughs> like that because the writing but it's like so tone deaf and like the way it'll be like they'll write an article like ukrainian lives matter or something <laughs> and they'll do this and even with the like the pitch that ukraine is doing to win over american sympathy is they're finding whatever female soldiers they have and be like look this is our frontline forces like check it out they're all women and like that's what now everyone has to do to win over america's side like the kurds yeah, did this yeah. <laughs> every side has to find and even the afghans like when they're fighting the Taliban they're like oh we need to get the America support so they just found these random women who probably have never been outside their house and they're like here's an AK hold it for the cameras and it was so bizarre when they had this and the whole American media is like the Taliban better be looking over their shoulder here's some hardened warriors and these women are clearly like like even terrified of holding their weapons before the camera and they all have like uh, yeah. not, 10 not, kids at home yeah, and they're like the full face covering and everything. And they're oh. just like, they have no earthly idea what to do with these firearms. And it's done totally for American PR. So, and Ukrainians are doing that. That's now the new strategy. I mean, if if the Yugoslav conflict happened now, you know, every side would be claiming that their, their forces are 80% female in order to get American sympathy for their side. Did you see the Times article about the the fifty year old woman who bought a rifle to fend off Russian soldiers in Kiev? <laughs> no. The, 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 they did the whole interview and the whole photo shoot with her, like some PR woman. What like kind of gun? Uh, some market researcher. Uh, it says. Uh, the, the headline was uh, Mariana Zhago, a market researcher in Kiev, has bought a high-powered rifle to fend off any Russian attack. Uh, well, it's, I'm not sure what better kind... better be well, worried. Yeah, I'm not sure. <laughs> and, and she looks exactly like your average... like like uh, She doesn't even look Slavic. She looks like some American wine on. She looks like an awful, affluent white female <laughs> liberal. Yeah, a Ukrainian awful. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Yeah, it's it's time to talk about gun rights in Ukraine. <laughs> <laughs> High time. Yeah, by the way, Scott, are you Telegram peeled yet? I like Telegram. I don't post enough on Telegram, um, Me but I like Telegram. That's always the problem with everything. Like, uh, I don't post enough on Gab. I post too much on Twitter, but it's like you forget about stuff. And I'm like, shit, I forgot to post this on Telegram or Gab. Yeah, I mean, I like Telegram for like uh, like private use and uh, just just as a 
Messenger, Messenger it's yeah. probably the best one out there right now. But uh, in terms of like uh, really media stuff, I'm not a huge fan. And all the Twitter clones, they just suck. I mean, Twitter already sucks. Twitter is a steaming pile of spaghetti code, which is weird because considering it was basically it blew up as a CIA tool to, to foment the Arab Spring and shit like that, you would expect it would work better. But Twitter is already really badly coded and all the clones, they are just insane, like Gab, Getter and uh, whatever. They always have weird leaks and uh, it's they're just completely unusable. I, none of them will ever take off, I believe. Yeah, Scott, do you think that uh, the new Indian... Uh, leadership of uh, Twitter will strike down on the dissenters more harshly than Jack. Well, he already is uh, to uh, to an extent. I mean, they had mass band waves for when he took over well, in you know December and January. Uh, but more to the extent, like you know, they left Twitter alone. To they're much more concerned about Facebook, even to this day. Even though Facebook censors the most. They realize that ordinary Americans are on Facebook. You know, Twitter is not the preferred app of normie Americans. It's still Facebook. It's still Instagram. And now it's greater extent to TikTok, which TikTok's run by Chinese, which is interesting. It's going to be interesting how, how that comes up in the 2024 election uh, with that, with what it's being said, even though TikTok also censors heavily, much more so than Twitter. Uh, so they're not as concerned with it. I, you know, my hope is that they leave, you know, the band waves they've had and these new policies they've, you know, about posting private photos and all that, that like they leave it at that and they don't go further. I do think these tech companies are worried about that. I think also tech companies realize that Republicans are going to likely take control of Congress in November this year in the midterm elections. And, you know, they don't want to deal with the hassle of Republicans having all these uh, congressional hearings about their censorship policies and everything. So I think, you know, for right now, I don't think they're going to pass any new particular policies. They'll probably ban some more big accounts. Maybe they'll eventually ban me. We'll have to see. I try to keep it, you know, my handlers at Langley won't be happy about <laughs> that. But uh, so they'll do these things. But I mean, he's already been more censorious and he would. And unlike Jack, Jack generally did not want to censor, but he was pushed into it by political and journal pressure. While this guy actually believes in censorship. But at the same time, they are worried that, you know, and they I think they also do worry that there will be a genuine like conservative alternative that will never replace them. But we'll take enough of their user base away that, you know, it makes Twitter less profitable and Twitter less important to the conversation, a little less important to the conversation. It will not replace it, but it could take out a sizable chunk of their market. And I think that's maybe why they may be a little bit more resistant to censorship. And also they're, they're still all the journos and politicians are still more focused on Facebook. Uh, which like, I really like how Twitter slaps a, a brand of China state media or Chinese government affiliated account on Twitter for every Chinese spokesperson. And uh, I didn't even, uh, I never see that for American government uh, affiliated accounts. 
uh, it's really funny. No, no. They, well, they'll do like President of the United States and like the really big accounts, but they won't. I don't even think they do it for NPR. Or, yeah, yeah. They, very... they may do it for Voice of America, but Voice of America is so unimportant that no one listens. Nobody cares the Voice of America. I mean, they should in some ways do that with like Politico. It, it was huge. These it was huge. Uh... Back in the day, in the 80s, in Russia, in Soviet Union, people actually like uh, bought some radios to listen to Voice of America. Uh, so that tells you that Russians are secret America files. Actually, that's what, <laughs> well, that's what it is. Russians are watching American movies and they fall in love with it. Uh, that's the truth of the matter. So that's uh, why I believe in that if America would extend a hand uh, for Russians, they would immediately like join NATO or something because Americans hate uh, Russians way more than vice versa. Have you ever uh, experienced that uh, Russian-Americophilism? No, no. I have, not in person. I mean, they're, besides the people who fled here, like Kasparov and others, but... <laughs> well, yeah, he, he's more of an American government-affiliated account himself. So, yeah... I, I'm talking about J yeah. Well, and also uh, Navalny because Navalny's a big uh, Rick and Morty fan. I think that was like the <laughs> yeah. most disturbing thing about <laughs> Navalny yeah. is that how much of a Rick and Morty fan he is. And it's yeah, like yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's uh, the funny thing. After he was poisoned, the one most famous interviewer in Russia, uh, Yuri Dutz, uh, called uh, him for an interview. So he was asking him, "How was it like to be nearly dead? Right? Uh, uh, how did you fight for your life?" And he was like. Well, um, the best thing I did after being evoked from uh, like hospital is watching a new episode of Rick and Morty. <laughs> and that's, uh, that tells you all you need to know about Navalny, yes. But that's not just him. He also Be quoted Harry Potter in that interview. Oh, yeah, that's right. He did quote Harry <laughs> <laughs> He's just going, well, I mean, he understands American elites, even though he needs to know now that Harry Potter is, uh, is now a little problematic because the... J.K. Well, yeah. Rowling turned into a turf, but yeah, he he's he's very he's very in fashion for 2018 or 2019 liberal elite uh, fashion choices. Yeah, but I actually think that a lot of the like uh, Russian animosity towards America is not uh, in like some principle thing, but more like like hey you stupid Yankees, can you be more like the movies we like? Yeah, like, yeah like, sure. Can you please go back to behaving like in the 80s movies we grew up with? And so on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The well, what are the alone. movies that Russians like? Well, uh, like boomer Russians, let's say. Aside from Soviet cinema, they like all the like 80s action flicks. All of yeah, them. Yeah, they're really big in Russia. Even anti-Soviet ones, like anti-Soviet propaganda, like uh, yeah, the Rambo, uh, Rambo and uh, stuff like that, yeah. It really shaped right. uh, the Russian identity back in the day, and it collapsed the Soviet Union. And Americans don't know about it. They think that we are like angry, uh, Russians are angry goblins that wish to destroy America. Может бахнем? Обязательно бахнем. И не раз. Весь мир в труху. Но потом. Let's talk a bit about American dissident right, or, or what's left of it, because uh, like uh, three years ago there were still Alex Jones, uh, Nick Fuentes, and uh, a lot of people like that. Bap on Twitter, right? And now they're all gone. Do you think it will die off, basically, the entire uh, dissident right movement in America? 
No, I don't think it's dying off. I think it's also more the ideas themselves are more popular than ever before. But, you know, Rem, what was around in 2016 and 2017, uh, what was specifically called the alt-right, I mean, there, there's like a bigger picture of like a nationalist or, you know, uh, MAGA or dissident right, whatever you want to call it. And then there's like a very specific alt-right that was very big in 2016 and 2017. And that is on its way to dying. It's been on its way for you know three or four years in that and in, in that going in that direction. And even with some of these bands, I mean, BAP is banned, but he still has a big Telegram. He's back on a different account. He's getting similar levels of engagement. Uh, can't we can't dox his uh, his new account? I don't think he wants to to say it, but I, most I think a lot of the listeners probably yeah. know what it's it is. It's Russians with attitude. <laughs> yeah, it's Russians with attitude. Yeah. And so he's still getting good engagement through that, and he's still spreading his ideas. And you know the. Uh, that's always one thing I want to say is that some of the personalities and, and individuals who are really big three or four years ago, you know, they are much less relevant and they're out of the picture. But the ideas that were first talked about by the dissident right in 2014, 2015, 2016 are now way bigger than they were even in what people think is the glory days of 2016. And uh, this is now, you know, Tucker Carlson talks yeah. about a lot of these ideas every every night on cable news. You know, if you're looking at what mainstream conservative discourse is talking about, it's a lot of these things that only the dissident right was talking about uh, five or six years ago. And so this stuff is and more and more people are getting into these ideas that were thought, you know, forbidden or were outside the political mainstream. And now they're, you know, in the political mainstream and dominating discourse. And it's the same with like the concept of anti-white racism. If you had said anti-white racism in 2015, people would have looked at you and be like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, what is that? And now anti-white racism is what, like, the GOP is campaigning on in this critical race theory in schools and 1619 project. And that's now what they're all talking about. Even though they won't necessarily explicitly say anti-white racism, in a lot of cases, uh, the audience knows what they mean. And so there is that development in that. Um, you know, so there's positive developments, but exactly as... I guess you, if you would call it a movement that was centered around, you know, the things that were going on in 2016 and 2017, you know, that is on its way to dying. I think some people are continuing to survive. You know, Nick Fuentes still has a large audience, even though he's banned from Twitter. Uh, Bab still has a large audience, even though he's banned from Twitter. A uh, couple, but some people have been banned from Twitter. You know, people forget that they exist. Uh, so it, it's just a matter depending on. On certain figures yeah. and individuals, I but that, uh, the alt right as we as people knew it in 2016 and 2017 is pretty much dead. Yeah, I generally believe that uh, dissident right morphed into Peter Nemitz Twitter. <laughs> That's uh, the new ruler of uh, opinions. That's right. Peter Nemitz is the king of alt right Twitter. Yeah. He is the Get uh, real vexed, chieftain. Guys. Uh, we're all getting vaxxed and we're all getting boosted. Well, we're, uh, are you boosted all, right now? We're all using Celsius now. <laughs> uh, me too. I, I do use Celsius and I, I am Well, vaxed. you guys use Celsius. But we, you know, Americans, that's actually the weirdest thing is he'll be like, it's a nice like 20 degrees today. And I was like, what? 20 degrees? <laughs> like, what the hell? Like that, because everyone, every American is, you know, Fahrenheit pilled. And, yeah, yeah. you know, he's for, he's, you know, a subversive foreigner. 
Uh, using Celsius. <laughs> Man, uh, I live in the Ural, so it's nice minus uh, 20 <laughs> degrees right now. It's pretty chill, yeah. Yeah, chill. Uh, well, you just, uh, Nemets will know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Has there been any update on Ricky Vaughn? I haven't heard of him from a while, like uh, all the federal prosecution stuff. Uh, that, I don't know necessarily. They're taking a long time to fix. I mean, they pressed, they arrested him, you know, a year ago, roughly a year ago, I think. And I don't think they filed formal charge. I don't know what the, it's like a very weird case and it's very much in the up in the air. I don't think they're going to be succeeding against charges against him. I think they just did it out of, you know, uh, of a way to intimidation, uh, but they don't really have a solid case against him. So. Um, but a lot of it's up in the air right at the moment. Yeah, I, I wish for alternative reality where Russians are dominating media and uh, Ricky Bon is considered the prisoner of conscience. And uh, like uh, every time you log on to see what's on the media and uh, it's like a terrible American government is torturing Ricky Bon, uh, the freedom fighter. Yeah. Russia introducing sanctions against <laughs> yeah for Ricky Wong. <laughs> yeah 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 uh, he was a great well, guy you got, you get, somebody's got to defend him but um, yeah that's it I think the one thing you wanted to ask me about is uh, Russian views on crime because I had a, a tweet uh, about Russians yeah. <laughs> laughing about American crime videos right so. yeah yeah you posted that one. Um, yeah, I think that that has been the trend for a few years. Um, like when those BLM protests, there was a, a large like 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 maybe happening in, uh, in Russia when all those BLM stuff was going on and they were burning down half the country. Uh, they were showing the movie Brat Brother on Channel One in Russia. Uh, do you know that movie? I know of the movie. Yeah. I haven't seen and, it, but and, I know and, of the You movie. must. Uh, you must. It's a good movie. Yes. and I've been trying to look for it. I, it's on my watch list. Yeah. It's on I YouTube uh, with it. subtitles. Yeah, yeah right. Okay, and, I'll watch it on and, YouTube. And in the ending, when the credits were rolling, and um, the song in the end is called, is by a r famous Russian band, uh, Nautilus Pompilus. The song is called Goodbye America. And while that song was playing, and the, and instead of the credits, they were showing footage from uh, BLM protests and like stuff burning in America, and uh, the, that was really uh, nice trolling, I believe. And uh, I think the message, uh, yeah, it uh, was received, and I think that uh, really many people in Russia are just now like like they are. Ten years ago or so, the most entertaining normie thing on the internet was uh, watching Russian dashcam footage. And nowadays, I think it's like watching procedurally generated crime in America as it happens every day. <laughs> well, now it's like all filmed. I mean, our murder rate, I think, is lower than Russia's. I, I, looked, on the, I looked on the very it's repeatable still. source of Wikipedia. Wikipedia and it's I think Russia has eight murders per 100,000 and America's no. they're using old numbers so it's saying five per 100,000 I think it's a little bit higher I think it may be six or seven no, I, I believe uh, that eight uh, is also old numbers it's also old numbers so you guys may be you guys may have yeah, a lower the, murder rate it's, it's like higher it's a bit <clears throat> higher I guess still no 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 but <laughs> wait a second let's uh, check on Anatoly's uh, Carlin's blog <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> 
Yeah, check those numbers on uns.com. See if they're accurate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, I'll do know, that right now. But I think it, so a lot of Americans have loved these videos of watching, like, walking around Moscow or Moscow and, and just like a normal day and just seeing, like, how nice the streets are and the people don't look uh, like slugs and the people even like American cities are far worse. I think the thing is that most of American crime is just centered in these cities Yeah, that there are pretty much hardly any murders outside of places in the cities. Like I looked up this example of Washington, D.C. Washington, D.C. has a little over half a million people that may have a little bit more now, but they had over 200 murders last year. And in these surrounding suburbs that have over a million people, Montgomery County, Maryland, and Fairfax County, Virginia, Fairfax County, Virginia had only 21 murders out of more than a million people. And then Montgomery County, Maryland had 35 murders out of more than a million people. And then Loudoun County, which is another suburban area outside of D.C., apparently had no murders. And it has nearly a half a million people. So, you know, there's so many areas that are bereft of crime but then and you go in American cities and now if you park your car, your car is definitely going to get broken into, especially if it's like parked in D.C. or San Francisco or Los Angeles. You know, Los Angeles doesn't have that high of a murder rate, but yeah, um, I'm just looking it up right now. So in um, last year, there were over 200 homicides in Washington, D.C. and 115 in Moscow. And, okay, uh, and Moscow. And Moscow has like how many people? Like two, three million people? Or uh, no, what? Moscow has around ten million people. It depends on no, the count. Twelve, twelve million people. Yeah. Officials. Twelve million yeah. people and a hundred murders. So, <laughs> yeah, compare and contrast, America. I mean, <laughs> New York City doesn't have has you know I think eight million people, and it only had its murder rate's gone up, but not that much. It's gone up, I think, to like six or seven hundred. Uh, but that's still way more than Moscow. So I feel like, you know, the murder rate is not that much different from in Russia and like the villages or small towns versus the cities. I could be wrong. I'm ready to be corrected. While in America, if there's like a murder in a suburb, it's like the biggest news to ever happen in like 10 years. Like in the suburb I grew up in uh, that was near uh, Nashville, Tennessee. Like we, if we had a murder in that in the entire county, like it was a big yeah, news. Yeah. <laughs> everyone has to know about it, right, and discuss it. Yeah, everyone knows about big it. Like, news. can you believe that somebody yeah, got murdered yeah, yeah. in our county? Like, this doesn't happen in our county. And so, there's a lot of places in America where they don't have, like, they have hardly any murders, and you know, there's there's some like there's some like crime and theft, of course, but you know, in terms of like violent crime, like it's like a big rarity. But in our cities, you know, it's <laughs> it's the Wild West going into it now. I mean, our cities weren't that bad in the, you know, early 2010s, the first half of the 2010s. But ever since the BLM riots, th there was already some decline going on before the BLM riots. But after the BLM riots, they've just turned into uh, complete shitholes. Like if you walk around D.C. now, it's really de the level of safety to, it feels is significantly decreased. It feels a lot dirtier and, and disgusting. And even in like in the middle of the day in like areas that you were thought were nice two years ago, they're now like uh, much sketchier. And there's also much more reports of crime. 
uh, carjackings are uh, much more prevalent in, in most major American cities. And that's like that's just like something that's, you know, a real problem that you have to deal with much more so than like your car getting broken into. Like I've had my car broken into. It's just something that happens. But like, you know, being on like stopped at a stoplight and a guy pulling a gun on you and just stealing your car is like a is like a, you know, a serious breach of, of, your, of your safety. And this is now much more common in American cities uh, throughout. Yeah, we have it in reverse because in the 90s and the early 2000s, uh, it was huge. The homicide rate in Russia, the robberies, and etc. But uh, yeah, you every had over single, 20 murders yeah. uh, per year, and uh, or 20 murders per 100,000 yeah, yeah. in the late 90s. And and every early 2000s. single year after 2005, it was declining every year. So right now, it's uh, around five per. 100,000. So not I I think we're about equal with US right now basically. Uh, but uh, yeah, in, in cities in Russian cities it's generally pretty safe. Uh, I remember my childhood and it was wild east. Uh, and now I don't even consider if uh, I'm walking alone at night it's uh, just uh, really safe compared to what it was uh, like even 10 years ago. So we have yeah, uh, different they don't trajectories. Have that experience in America. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's certain nice parts, but it's, uh, you know, I would have never worried about walking around. Like, you know, when I lived near DC, you know, I never worried about walking around at night there. But, you know, if I went to there now, I'm like, no. And there's also homeless everywhere, too. I don't know if you guys have necessarily the huge homeless problem in Russia. But there's Not now, now like homeless villages in a lot of American cities. There's in, in like DC, there's like very nice places in DC where there's a homeless encampment, you know, right in the smack middle of this nice park that you used to walk through and it'd be nice. And now you see syringes there and, <laughs> and tents. And that's the way in San Francisco, yeah, and, you know, a lot of places yeah, I remember Texas. a few years ago, like four years ago, so a mutual on Twitter was like talking about the human feces problem in San Francisco, uh, like yeah. as if it's some established thing everyone knows. And I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, no, and, and in San Francisco, they also have that human feces. And it's like, I think that's not just in San Francisco. I mean, it's like, you know, everywhere they're going to there be, they're going to be pooping everywhere. So you... And in San Francisco, you know, it was a it was a minor fine to not clean up your dog's poop, but you cannot be fined for pooping as a human on the street. So there's a greater there's a greater penalty if your dog poops on the on the sidewalk and you don't clean it up versus a human pooping on the sidewalk. Well, it figures that Indians uh, became such a dominant race in California <laughs> the past 10 years. Well, it's it's not, it, you know, it's not any immigrant group. Sure, well, sure, I mean, sure. It's whoever the homeless are. I mean, the homeless are like their own class of people. Indians they, in know, California are uh, Brahmins and yeah, very rich, very powerful. I get that. Uh, well, we'll see uh, what uh, the future brings. Yeah, Scott, uh, to end this uh, interview with you, I need some uh, affirmations and uh, some future prospects for Russia-US relations. What do you think uh, the best could happen with us? Well, the best that could happen is uh, Trump getting a second term oh. in uh, 2024 and him finally reaching out and having a realistic uh, solution with Russia. I think if like people start to think China is more of a threat Maybe if China starts making moves on Taiwan, you know, that is um, 
that could make people just stop giving a shit about Russia in the same way that they cared about Russia in the 2010s. Yeah. So that, those are like the things that could be there. I, I think in when it comes now to a Democrat, you know, they've been all Democrats have all been challenging to push back against Putin. And now when they're actually having to do it, they really don't want to do it. Uh, you know, they just they they're like, well, we'll let Ukraine do the fighting and then we'll just send like some mean tweets and that'll be it. And uh, that's what's going on in America. Actually, I did have a, there was I remember, you know, I'm always remembering the guidebook you gave uh, for the interview. I don't I don't want to continue it too long, but I remember mm-hmm. you were wanting me to defend America's Anglo identity. Oh, yeah, yeah. sure, that sure, I'm sure. One of the few. Yeah. Few people that is uh, saying this, and I've heard that you know some pe- the the Russians with attitude have an attitude problem against the Anglo's. Movie. So maybe you know I might be in the hot seat here. I might be you know I might be on a tribunal here. I might well, be arrested and executed afterwards. For being we don't have Anglo. anything against uh, Scots. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we realize that you are a fake Anglo, so we're okay with you. That's not true. I mean, I am at least fifty percent English mm. ancestry wise. All right. So, so are you a big defender <laughs> of Anglo in sense? I mean, not really. I mean, it's like it's where America is like culture and heritage is descended from. I mean, like in caring about the British, it, it ends at 1776. Like they're no longer our people. So it's like, it, it, you know, we cut off. We, you know, we're, we're doing our own separate thing. I mean, I don't really have a hatred towards the British Empire in a, in a way that a lot of... Uh, certain right-wingers yeah, yeah. <laughs> that I might be talking with right now. I mean, <laughs> if I was Russian, I, of course, I would have a completely different impression of what the British are like versus me uh, uh, as, a, as an Anglo-American, even though some people call me a fake Anglo. Um, so I would have a completely different impression of the British. But I think if you... A lot of the, you know, I think the British are the most popular white people for everyone to hate on. Uh, and so become... And it's also like there's no... A stigma around being like Anglophobe, yeah. so everyone just like kind of they have hatred for other groups of people, and then they realize that you know that might be politically incorrect. I'm gonna instead just talk about how much I hate Anglo's, <laughs> and so it becomes very popular. I understand why continental Europeans would have like problems with, and Russians would have problems with the British, but when it comes to America, like most white Americans have a significant level of English ancestry. There is a level of Anglo erasure that has happened where all these Americans who are like at least 50% English, they have like their first name and and last name are English derived. They have no real connections to any other group, but then they'll like say like, what's your ethnic background? I'm German and they're like like five percent German, you know, mm-hmm. and they'll just like think that because like nobody in America like says their identity like they're passing down their heritage. No one says anymore that you're like British or English. They say that you're something a little bit more exotic, so they'll just say German or Irish or Polish or Italian and they'll and it's also a large part of that America's founding myth is no longer with the settlers, it's with Ellis Island. Like those are the true settlers that we have to admire to. And so people want a little bit of that ethnic grievance for their own side being like, oh, well, my uh, my one Irish great great grandmother was oppressed. So, uh, you know, uh, how dare you lump me in with Wasp? And the the entire culture that is a predominant America has this hostility towards Wasp and Anglos. 
if you watch most of our movies, especially like gangster movies, which are like the popular male movie, uh, Wasp and Anglos are always the villains, <laughs> are always hated in these movies, besides like rival gangsters. Yeah. But wasps, Wasp and, and is a slur, basically. It has a funny meaning, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a slur. And nobody wants to be a wasp. Nobody wants to associate with a wasp. And so there'll be, like, there's millions and millions of white Americans who are Protestant, have Anglo surnames, and then they'll say that they're Irish or German. And it's like, no, you, you're, Anglo, you're Anglo. And so I don't really, you know, I do realize there's a limit on how much we can uh, popularize Anglo-American as, like, the way we sing ourselves. But I'm wanting to defend and uphold uh, America's true heritage of being... Uh, an Anglo nation with yeah. an Anglo heritage and you know there's nothing it's okay to be Anglo yeah, in see. America and now do you find the uh, slogan of uh, save the bees anti-wasp yes that is an extremely yeah. anti-wasp uh, save the bees you <laughs> fuck know, the and, bees uh, <laughs> yeah fuck the bees you yeah. know they the all the bees they think they have their honey yeah. and stuff and it's like the wasps are, are much more dangerous predator. yeah <laughs> So I guess you're not a huge fan of the concept of castizo futurism. Well, I didn't really get into people get into these like arguments that I don't <laughs> even understand. So I don't want to get necessarily into it uh, with that. Some people are well, there's a couple different sides with like the Hispanic immigration. One thing is like Hispanics are not turning into this reliable left wing voting demographic that people thought they were. And a lot of Hispanics are more identifying with middle-class whites, and they're, they're not down with BLM. So a lot of them are voting for uh, more, you know, the Republican Party and vote and supporting nationalist policies. But at the same time, it's, you know, there are problems, you know, people are like, wow, we wish we can't be Latin American. I was like, man, Latin America sucks. <laughs> like, what, like, everyone who's in Latin America, like, you know, I think there's a, a friend, uh, Mart, uh, Mart Posting, Uh, who used to go by Punish yeah, Mart. Yeah. He's like, you know, he lives in South America. And he's like, man, it sucks here. <laughs> like, you guys don't want to end up like us here. And and like all these like South Americans who, you know, are the real Castizos want to leave what they've created and come to America. Uh, so, you know, I, people just like come up with memes and stuff. I don't want to take it too seriously or get it too involved, but... Uh, you know, really what uh, the hope and salvation for America lies within its historic American people. Uh, you know, we're going to have allies. We're going to have some allies of new arrivals and some other people who have mixed and assimilated in. Um, but I don't really, you know, when I'm, I don't look to the Latin American model as something to emulate or want to adopt. I think it's like something very bad. It's like, you know, we've sealed ourselves into walls and then we have these, uh, you know, slum cities. And it's like, no, I'm not really into that. And we have cartels running everything and there's a wild level of corruption. And no, not not really into that. That's not what the Anglos are about. Well, uh, you claim that Americans are ashamed of their Anglo heritage, but uh, most Americans still find British accents sexy, don't they? Well, that is true. No, it's not just the accent sexy as they think the it's crooked like, a sign of sophistication. Yeah. <laughs> All of that. Yeah, so. Sophistication and intelligence. So, yeah. like, this is part of ancestral worship, to my mind. I think they still has the, uh, have that connection. I don't know. The British accent, the worship of the British accent in America is that 
you know, it's so distinctive from the American accent. When we think American accent, we think of it as just like plain. It's British boring. You know, it's like the hamburger of yeah. languages. Like it's like a, it's like a plain hamburger, not even a cheeseburger. That's like how people view it as American. But they view British as like, oh wow, it's this like really exotic language. You're it's our walk, language, mate. but spoken back as like an intelligent yeah. person. And so it's like creates this exotic exoticism. That's funny I'm because uh, British it. accent, uh, like most of them. Uh, sounds like uh, some chaff, uh, gopnik style <laughs> of speech. So yeah, yeah. No, very that's exotic. true. But they even like the they even like the Cockney style and like the the more uh, working class style because now a lot of these American libtards are getting into soccer, uh, well football as uh, yeah, Euro, yeah. Euro poors call it, but we call it in real, in real country we call it soccer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're all getting into these uh, soccer clubs. And they, they see the fans like, oh, oh, Manchester United. And then they're like, oh, I love that accent. It's so authentic. They're fans. And, and it's even going with oh, some of the right You fucking Brit popper like, or like what? North in it? <laughs> yeah, North FC uh, and stuff. They're like, they're like, oh, I love these authentic, like, fat, no, this is, like uh, soccer hooligans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, <laughs> I mean, some of them are cool. I mean, they do, like, will go out and fight for their statues. And heritage. there's some, like, cool aspects. But there's, like... Uh, a little bit too much for worship with it, and so even people like the ugly, disgusting accents that come from. Britain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Russians uh, in the our schools are taught uh, British accent uh, in English classes. So, well, that's the same in Germany. I mean, that's the same. I get, people don't learn the uh, the real accent. That's that, part that of the colonization process in uh, Western clearly. Europe. That has been true up until a few years ago, but but nowadays I think the Western European education system has completely given up on teaching kids received pronunciation, and it's just like uh, everyone is speaking American now in Western Europe. It's uh, it's they have their well, they're all listening to American yeah, music it, and watching yeah, American yeah, exactly. movies. I mean, they're not speaking British English. To be honest, in, in the to be honest, American English is black English. Yeah, I just I just was about <laughs> That's to the say truth of it. people yeah. in Europe uh, when they are speaking like American, they are not speaking like Buckley spoke on firing line. Yeah, they yeah. are they they are speaking this kind of. What the dude the pomo big I mean, uh, yeah. most uh, internet language is also, in a way, derived from That's from true. like uh, black people from how from how black people speak. And yeah, I, I believe in black futurism for America. <laughs> Afrofuturism. <laughs> Afrofuturism is, is the future. Well, it's like our whole, co- I mean, the whole culture in America, unfortunately, at this moment is like derived from blacks. I mean, like the music, is, people always worship black music and to say it's like and any type of music that is mostly associated with whites like country yeah. and rock cool. they have to claim that well blacks invented or it's actually ultimately derived mm-hmm. from blacks which is not really true i mean country is derived from uh, anglo-celtic folk music i mean it's like yeah the british isles had no people singing sad songs on guitars like they just invented this from africa and it's like no that like africa didn't even have they didn't even bring over guitars with them like that's also what you're supposed to believe is like the the slaves is like oh i'm bringing nothing with me except for this guitar <laughs> and my and the pentatonic scale <laughs> and this is what i'm bringing over to america yeah I think, and that's now like the origin of all I music it's kind of a holdover in a way uh, like from the 90s when race relations in America were pretty okay compared to now and uh, there was just this kind of stereotype that, that black people are just really cool 
in a in a in the way yeah. of culture or mass media and so on and uh, but that doesn't really correspond to to reality anymore because like from what i see on twitter and stuff and from what american friends tell me uh that black people are just like kind of similar to 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 white and that that like black people watch anime and stuff they love anime dragon ball z especially yes 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 and and it's just not the same kind of like being just cool and relaxed and stuff anymore and it's just a a kind of simulacrum of of being cool Uh, it's it depends on the situation yeah i mean they are getting i mean uh, um, they didn't make a rap song about rick and morty well yeah they're an old you know it's a really great rap song you know the whole lyrics are just rick 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 and morty rick and morty (laughs) you know it's like very creative lyrics i was like you know you that you cannot find this in heavy metal music i'll tell you what it's not a there's not yet been a black metal song about rick and morty to my awareness uh hopefully there's not uh, but yeah, you're going. But even our language is much more black speak, uh, and you know they used to call it ebonics, but ebonics like changes like things that people were saying in like the '90s, like in the plane now, movie. Like, Do you remember the ebonics in the plane movie? Oh, airplane, airplane. right? The yeah, yeah, yeah. Airplane. Yeah, yeah. They had. Do you remember two black men speaking gibberish, straight up gibberish? It's uh, very funny. Yeah, they would say that that was speaking jive. Yes, back yeah, then. Yeah, yeah. And now and now they have, but like this lingo that they even had like 20 years ago in the 90s, you know, saying like bling bling, <laughs> that would put you as like what? What are you talking about bling bling? That's like an old term. That's like an old. They so they update. It's like Ukrainian language now. in a way. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Uh, well, I will. I will not uh, attack our, our brave oh. Ukrainians who may be listening, yeah. but. Uh, who are very distinct people. <laughs> you know, that's how, you, you know, I can see the Russians getting mad about that. But No, no, no. Uh, with the black speak, but even with you look at Zoomers, like they're, all their lingo and language that they're using is even more black speak. Like, even compared with millennials, like, if millennials talked black, like, it was like, what are you doing? Like, people would mm-hmm. make fun of you and yeah. it's done as a joke. But now I see, like, the typical Zoomer talk at, like among high schoolers is almost completely derived from can, can you the give us a sample of uh, this black speak that white students uh bussin bussin <laughs> is uh bussin uh which is like cool oh. uh no cap. no cap yes you know yeah. this is like these are like very generic things that like most uh, like twitter's uh, knows but and the other thing to realize is that black speak has taken over is that rap has completely overtaken rock and yeah. as the youth it was young a music. great war and it's been the way for uh, as it's been the way for 10 or 15 years that that's been the case i mean you no know, nobody listens to new rock yeah. anymore i mean and now so, even like 40 so years old people uh, aren't cool old people are like yeah tupac had some bangers and that's uh, the what uh, they're gonna <laughs> ch- teach to their kids uh, as uh, the classical music right tupac and yeah Biggie. the rap music but yeah. even even the, those are like gen xers who would be like the most i mean even millennials like tupac uh, zoomers don't listen to anything older than uh, TikTok, you know, <laughs> Jay Z. Yeah. Maybe Jay Z might be the oldest thing that they might listen. Like Zoomers are obsessed with nothing older than like 2008. Even with like their movies. Like I know several Zoomers who are like, I will not watch this movie. This movie's mm-hmm. old, and it's like from 2004. Yeah. <laughs> I know that feeling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> and so they're like, you were alive when this movie came out. But it's like, that's an old movie. I don't want to watch that. And so they're, they all listen to that rap music. And that's the type of terminology. They hear these words used in rap music. And now that's what they use in their common speech. And that's what's already happened even among millennials. But that's now at a much more accelerated stage among Zoom, among American Zoomers and the young generation. And that's if they can understand each other. I mean, a lot of uh, American, American youngsters are spending all day uh, masked up 24-7. So those are the lucky ones who, can, who are maybe not developing speech impediments and other, and other uh, severe well, I believe it comes uh, uh, back, way back to 19th century, to the middle of 19th century, where uh, in the America there was a Uyghur party. If I'm if I'm correct, oh the wigs, yeah, the, yes, the wiggers. The wigs. I, 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 the, the they weren't wiggers. The wigger party, yeah, the wigger, the wigger. The funny thing about the wigs is the wigs were like the upper class party, so it wasn't the like, uh, yo, what up, my man? I'm I'm in the wigger. Fuck the masons, <laughs> bro. <laughs> yeah, that, well. But yeah, no, the wig, the wigs were like the uh, represented New England and uh, were considered more upper class. They were actually considered the party uh, that was more favorable toward blacks compared to the the, the Democrats at that time. Um, and a lot of abolitionists, our free soilers, were in the in the Whig party. Are you weak? And they broke up actually your over slavery ideology in any way. I am. I would not say I'm a Whig. <sighs> Yeah, <laughs> the Whigs aren't really a uh, relevant party to uh, what's currently happening in the world now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, that's a topic for another discussion. So, yeah, thank you, Scott, for coming by. It was really fun to talk to you. I believe we solved the Ukrainian crisis and uh, pinpointed uh, the what are Americans where they come from. And uh, I hope uh, our audience uh, has enjoyed that. Yeah, thanks a lot for coming on. All right, great. Thanks for having me. And hopefully all your listeners then uh, subscribe to Highly Respected on YouTube and check out Highly Respected on Substack. That's at highlyrespected.substack.com. Everyone's got a Substack now. Do that because uh, it is highly respected. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. And And we're trying to pump up everyone's IQ uh, which, <laughs> and trying to make sure that everyone knows that a ton of rocks weighs more than a pound of <laughs> exactly. It's called positive eugenics. <laughs> <laughs> In many ways. But thanks for having me on.